Welcome to Cancer Out Loud, the cancer care podcast, a show featuring conversations with people living with cancer, caregivers, survivors, loved ones, and the bereaved. Hosted by oncology social workers, Cancer Out Loud takes a closer look at the cancer experience using the power of storytelling. Whether you are a patient, survivor, caregiver, someone that lost a loved one, or someone hoping to find inspiration, Cancer Out Loud is your sanctuary, a place to find hope, understanding, and a sense of community. This podcast is produced by Cancer Care, the leading national nonprofit organization providing free professional support services to anyone affected by cancer. If you find comfort in hearing the different perspectives of people living with cancer and are also interested in learning more about clinical trials, you must check out Cancer Care's My Trialist. My Trialist's goal is to empower people living with cancer and their caregivers to learn more about clinical trials. In addition to hearing from people who have enrolled in clinical trials, My Trialist also gives you the opportunity to search for studies that you may qualify for located near you. Accessibility and ease of use are at the heart of My Trialist, and that's why our trial finder includes study-specific overview videos featuring easy-to-understand language and testimonies from trial investigators. Take the first step in empowering your treatment decisions today and visit www.mytrialist.org to learn more about what clinical trial treatment options are available to you. Welcome back to another episode of Cancer Out Loud, the Cancer Care Podcast. I'm your host, Julia Manna, and I'm an oncology social worker here at Cancer Care. With us today, we have Melissa Matthews, a mother, a wife, and an individual who's been going through the journey of endometrial cancer. Welcome, Melissa. It is so great to have you here with us today. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what brought you here? Certainly. Hi, Julia. My name is Melissa Matthews, and I'm married to Claude Douglas. We've been married for 18 years. I have six children two biological and four bonus children, and I'm the proud grandmother of seven grandchildren. I am a young 52 years old, and I was recently diagnosed with stage three endometrial cancer with progression. I'm currently retired. I spent 14 years stationed at the William J. Hughes Technical Center as a secretary. Because of my illness and treatment, August of 2023, I made the decision to retire so that I could focus on getting better. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. In our previous conversations, when you were first diagnosed, how did you feel in that moment? If you could just bring us back to that day and what that experience was for you. Well, when I was first diagnosed, 
I ended up getting the news while I was actually at work. It seems like when I'm at work is when I get bad news. Um, a couple years prior, I had gotten news about a tumor that I had, a brain tumor that I had, but I since made it through that and have been cleared. But when I got this news, it was both a blessing and a curse. I had been dealing with bleeding for some time and then no cycles for some time. But to finally have an answer as to what the problem was, that was priceless. The curse was that the type of cancer that I had was advanced. It was ravenous. It was, there's no cure for it. So that, that was the curse. Incurable cancer. They could treat me to extend my life, hopefully, but there's no cure for it. But I'm here today, so for that, I'm very, very uh, grateful and very blessed. Yes, and we are so grateful to have you be here to share your story with others who have your type of cancer or any type of cancer. So I'm wondering, did you know anybody with endometrial cancer at the time when you when you were diagnosed? No. I'm sure there are people that have it and maybe they had not discussed it, but I personally did not know anybody with endometrial cancer specifically. I had someone that I fellowshiped with and she had a couple of different types of cancers, but I cannot say that it was endometrial uh, cancer. Uh, people tend to keep things uh, private. I know that I was, I felt like I was private. Now I'm at a stage and in a season of, of my life where I'll talk about pretty much anything. Um, and in my family, my family history, my mother had peritoneal cancer, but she did not get her diagnosis until about six weeks before she passed. I think it may have been overlooked but she did not get her diagnosis until about, again, six weeks before she passed. And that was definitely a hard pill to swallow. So from the time she started feeling sick, which was about April the 7th of 2010, by July the 7th of 2010, she was gone. Wow, Melissa, that sounds so incredibly difficult, just knowing that it was such a short period of time between her initial diagnosis and when she passed. And I appreciate you sharing that with our listeners. I'm sure that, that some can relate to that as well. So you have had a family history of cancer. When you were first diagnosed, how did your medical team communicate that with you? Mm -hmm. Well, I received a call. I was at work and I received a call from my a gynecologist who did not want me to accidentally see it on the patient portal. You know, information is posted on the patient portal. While I had an appointment scheduled for later that week, it was probably three to four days out. Um, as soon as she got the word, she went into action and she called me because just as I said, she did not want me to read it before she had a chance to inform me. So she called me as soon as she could and I just so happened to be at work at that time. And um, of course I was devastated, but on the flip side of that, she had already started the process to locate for me a gyne oncologist 
because she knew that the situation uh, was dire and they needed to move quickly. That was made very clear that we need to move very quickly with this. So that's what happened. She called me, made an appointment on the 21st of December. And by January 6th, I was being wheeled away to surgery, a surgery that would change my life forever. I see. I see. So the treatment started, you mentioned it was in December. Right. The treatment started, I, I would say December, just in that I had to get, um, I had to have surgery. They had to do biopsies at the hospital, you know, get those samples back, get them into pathology to see what was causing, you know, the issues that I was having extensively for since August, since about August the 1st where I had started a cycle, which at that point in time, I would only get a cycle maybe two or three times a year, one or two days, very light. But for whatever reasons, at this point, it started and it just didn't stop. (laughs) It went on and on until I got a little bit of a break September 27th, and I know it was that date because my sister had gone back to California. We had went to a funeral and she'd gone home. So I got a little bit of a break. But beyond that, it came back within 10 days and it just never stopped. It just went on and it was very difficult for me to work because I couldn't stop bleeding. Coworkers had to help me, thank God for understanding. I had to have what I called a go bag The girls that I worked with very closely were aware of what the go bag was. I had to have them go to my car and get the bag, which would, you know, have things in it that I needed in order to freshen up, take care of myself as a woman um, while on duty. It was a difficult time. It was a difficult time. Mm -hmm. And I can understand why that, that was a difficult time for you and why you felt that way. It sounded like there was so many things happening all at once, and it was just trying to figure out a way to navigate the, the situation at hand. So as we start the conversation around treatment, would you mind mm-hmm. just telling our listeners a little bit about the treatment that you underwent and how that impacted you both on an emotional level and a physical level? I guess my first treatment would be that surgery. <laughs> and the surgery was, um, that's the first time I'd ever been cut. Yes, I had children, but nobody's ever cut me. Um, so I wasn't prepared. I don't think my husband was prepared. And I don't know if anybody's really prepared after surgery, how much they have to take care of you, the caregiver, um, how much you require, uh, the pain. I don't have a high tolerance for pain. I never have. I don't do pain very well. But there was a lot of pain involved. But once we got through the physical pain of the surgery, then it was time the following month to move on to actual treatment, which was chemotherapy. I never had chemotherapy before. So the only thing I could know is what they told me, what they shared with me, what to expect. I knew that hair loss would happen, but at a certain point when you know that your life is at stake, who cares about hair? Nobody cares about hair. Uh, you want to you want to live. Hair can be replaced, but you want to live. So I started my, I believe it was five to six rounds of chemotherapy, which was started on my 52nd birthday. That's how I spent the whole day. Um, That was my very first treatment. And then I would move on from there and have it uh, three days a week, every 21 days. I would go for this uh, 
for this life-saving uh, treatment. And after the treatments, I had no energy. I would just come home. My husband knew he was very understanding. And I would take off my clothes and lay on the sofa because I was too weak to climb steps to go up to my room. I just laid and slept on the sofa for, for many hours until I could finally get up. And I did this every day that I had treatment till I could finally get up and then uh, make it to my room, you know, f for the night. Chemotherapy, I didn't understand before. My sister-in-law had a mother who opted to not go through chemotherapy again when her cancer returned. And at the time, I did not understand why. Like you're still, you know, fairly young. You have all these children and grandchildren. Why would you not want to fight? That was my mindset then. But after me going through several rounds and or even completing my chemotherapy, I understood it is hard on a body. It's hard on a mind. It's hard. It's just difficult, not necessarily painful, but I can't explain it the way it makes you feel. And it's, it's not good. But in the same breath, I say, thank you, God, that we're in America, that there is treatment, that we don't have to struggle to find it because it's there. It's available to us. And I'm sure so many women in other countries don't have that opportunity or option. So yes, it may suck, but it is life-saving or life-extending. And you just have to get through it one day at a time with prayer, with grace. You just have to get through it. And you are, you are right with that. That is such a powerful statement for you to share what chemotherapy was like for you. And for those who are listening, treatment impacts everybody differently. And it is about trying to find ways on how to manage those side effects and those difficult days where there is a lack of energy. Melissa, I know that you explained your chemotherapy experience. Can you describe what was difficult as far as the side effects in specifics to the diagnosis that you have, endometrial cancer? So when we had the surgery, they removed my uterus, they removed my lymph nodes, they removed pretty much everything that they could for my own safety. But the result of that was it threw me off. I say my normal body clock or temperature, it threw it off. So I couldn't be hot, cold. I went from extremes, like real extremes with the sweats. I would be freezing one second. I would be burning up the next second. It made it very difficult. I would go places, try to go places and do things. And my face would be pouring with sweat. And I try to, you know, keep it together. Or I find myself freezing cold and trying to stay warm. And to this day now, I don't really have a choice but to layer. I layer. And I'm usually not in anything very heavy. I need to be able to quickly take off clothes and put clothes on. And even with using hormonal treatments, it didn't seem like that really did a whole lot for me at the time. But I can say, thank you, God, <laughs> the sweating pretty much has dissipated. I don't have, I still have temperature control issues, but the sweating, which was a major thing when you're a woman and you're trying to do things, that has subsided. And I'm grateful for that. 
Yes. Early in our discussion, you mentioned how treatment impacted other aspects of your life. So how would you say your treatment, side effects, how has this impacted your career? As you mentioned, you were Mm -hmm. previously working. Right. Well, with that, I'm going to have to be honest. And that was probably even tougher than cancer. I had been on my job for 14 years or just about 14 years at that point when I was diagnosed. And all I wanted to do was be able to work. But in order for me to be able to work while I was having treatment, I needed accommodations because of my immune system being suppressed and all of those things. I needed accommodations. I couldn't be in the general public. My job is people to come to your desk. There's people who are all around. And so that was a danger for me uh, with my system being down and all. And I had employers who started off, who started off supportive. Now, reminder, I'm a contract employee and my uh, company was in another, uh, another state, but they started off, you know, willing to uh, help. And then at a point, they were no longer willing to help. When I asked for an accommodation is when it became, you know, it just became very difficult because the, the common thing was, well, if you're too sick to come to work, then you can't work at home. And that was a horrible, I think that was a horrible way to look at things. We had just come from COVID. We spent about two years working at home during the COVID crisis every day. So we know that it can be done. And many of the women had not returned to work. But for me, I knew that my life insurance was tied up in my job. Anything that I was going to have for my family pretty much was tied up in my job. And if I had just stopped working altogether, my family would receive nothing. Because at this point, who's going to insure a woman with stage three (laughs) terminal cancer? So I had to press to return to work. I wanted to work, even though I had limitations, physical limitations, because my body was still healing. My mind was clear, my fingers worked, all the things that I needed to do, I could do. But driving, I couldn't drive. I couldn't do a whole lot of walking. So, you know, an accommodation at home would have helped. I could still answer my lines and my phones and things. So that that made it difficult. And I'm certain, you know, I'm not the only woman who's experienced things like that. But employers should uh, exercise understanding within the limits of the law. I always say uh, different strokes for different folks. You accommodate those who you want to accommodate, but those who you don't want to accommodate, you don't. And that is the truth. That's the apps. That's my truth. So anything that I say here, these are my personal opinions from my personal experience, and they don't reflect can't the cancer care organization, but they are my opinions and my experience. Melissa, thank you for sharing that with our listeners. I am sure people who have been diagnosed with cancer have faced challenges just in the workforce with their employment, and it is definitely an important topic of conversation to have and highlight. I am so sorry that you had to go through those challenges. Nobody should be faced with these difficulties on top of dealing with the cancer diagnosis, but your motivation to continue to work is very empowering. And I just say thank you for for sharing that. 
if we can talk a little bit about your support system and how important that was during this journey, during your cancer journey, during treatment, how did your support system have a positive impact on you? I'm so grateful. I was a private person, I do have to say, but I'm so grateful. So people, if you're out there and you can hear me and you're listening, you're a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, believe me when I tell you, a card, a gift card, a text message, a note, not doesn't have to be long, but a simple, I am thinking about you. I am praying for you. Those things go a long way. They go a long way because what they do is let the person know who was going through without being invasive, that you care, that somebody out there does care, you know, for them. So for me, um, my family, though I have many kids, they don't live, they don't live with me. They're grown and everybody is here and there and they're living their lives. So it's my husband and myself, I'm at home. But I have to tell you, I had neighbors that actually work at the same facility that I have that would come by and bring soup. I had coworkers that would send soup every week. They made sure, you know, people offered to get my groceries, take me shopping if I needed, get me to my appointments, which were 45 minutes one way from home, 45 minutes close to an hour one way from home, depending on traffic. So those things are so truly important. And I know that people meant it, but I'm the type of person that, no, I'm not going to bother you. I'm going to, you know, if we can't, then okay. I thank God for my husband who would work all night, all night, 10, 12 hours, and then still come home in the morning and make sure I got down the road to my appointments, which day one of my appointments were usually about six to seven hours. And then he would come home and maybe sleep for a short time and turn around and go back to work. And, and we just, we did that for the longest time. So, you know, encourage, you know, your coworkers, your friends, you might not see them, but give them a pop call. I know for me, I couldn't respond to everyone's text messages, phone calls, I couldn't, still can't, it's so many, but it did my heart well. It did my heart very well. And I'm grateful for neighbors, just everyone who who kicked in and tried to pitch in in their own way, you know, to help ease my mind, to let me know, hey, you're not alone. Hey, you got this. You know, we're rooting for you. Those things mean a lot. They just do. Yes, they do. Just one, like you said, one text, one letter, something that is just a short statement can go so far while you're in this journey. And I'm so glad that you were able to highlight that. And most importantly, you have had that support system as far as not only just your family members, but your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. I'm so glad that you have had them throughout this journey and continue to be supported. Yes. And I was on many, I know that I was on many prayer lists, my, my church family, my pastors and so forth. I was on many, many, and still am on many prayer lists. And those prayers mean a lot. They do help that. And I know they help because I'm still here today, which I wasn't supposed to be, but you know what? God saw fit to give me a little bit more time. So I'll take it. 
I'll take it. And attitude is everything. A positive attitude is everything. You can't always be positive, but I said, I always say, as long as I'm amongst the living, I want to live. That's it. If I'm, I don't, I don't want to sleep my day away. If I don't have to, um, I want to get up and be productive. It might just be in my home, but I get up every day before I leave my room. I get myself showered. I get dressed or whatever. I may put on a little bit of a face, but it makes me feel good and it makes me thankful. And before my feet hit the floor, I say thank you, God, for just giving me another day. Just thank you, and I'll take it. We'll take it. (laughs) So, so powerful, Melissa. Thank you. And uh, like I said, it's the support system is so incredibly important throughout this journey. And I'm so glad that you have had that because it does make a difference. And as far as your your medical team and mm-hmm. the support from them, I know that is very significant as well while you're going through cancer and you're going through treatment. So would you say as far as support from the medical team, is that something that you would also like to highlight? Yes, yes. I am, I am so grateful for the fast acting medical <laughs> medical team that I was connected with. They got to me right away. They saw that this was important. I didn't feel tossed aside. My doctor, my gyne-oncologist uh, did her best to explain everything to me. But again, the cancer that I was diagnosed with is a rare form of cancer. So they really didn't have a lot of things to compare it to, to go on. The type of cancer that I have in my endometrium was a cancer that should have that is normally or typically found in the lungs, but it wasn't in my lungs. And I'm going to just say this real quick. One of the persons on my team who I saw yesterday for an additional opinion up in Philly, he's been doing this for 35 years. And I was the first and the only person he has ever seen with this type of cancer. So that really is saying something if you have 35 years of experience. So the fairly new doctor coming in may not know. <laughs> so they they have to ask questions really of others and their systems when they plug in information. It's just not giving them a treatment form because, you know, it just it's new and it's rare and they don't have they don't have a treatment for me. I tried to get into some clinical trials. That was part of my visit up to Philly yesterday. And those three trials they decline to uh they decline to have me again it's so uncommon i guess people don't want to waste the resources so you know it's that that part is that part is difficult but my team i'm going to say they they've been great you know sometimes things can fall through the cracks but for the most part, my team, their patient, they get back to me. There were times, like around the holidays, where you might have, you know, have a little gap or whatever, which I kind of needed, I guess, a, a break or what have you. But I'm very grateful for people that care. It takes a lot to be a doctor of any type, but now I'm trying to be a doctor of this type with an uncommon cancer, you know, that can make your head spin, and you're trying to help a woman who's fairly young. I feel like I'm still fairly young and still vibrant and still wanting to live, still as active as I can be, you know, it's hard. It's hard for them. It's hard for me. Yes. Okay. And so as you acknowledge these difficulties, Mm -hmm. 
regarding treatment and further pursuing treatment, future treatment, what personal strengths would you say has helped you during this time as you face these current situations right now regarding treatment? What personal strengths have helped you the most during this time? My faith, my faith, my attitude, but also learning to hear my voice because sometimes we feel like what somebody else has to say is better, but sometimes you have to hear your voice. And I'm going to just simply say with that, cancer care and my counselor from cancer care helped me to hear my voice. The time we spent allowed me to hear my voice, to express what I truly felt in my heart that I couldn't express to my family because they weren't able to receive a certain things, you know, at different points. That, that gave me strength. You have no idea. That gave me strength and a lot of it. And the Thank desire you. to be here today, the desire yes. to be here today and, and to let other women know, and men or whoever's listening, you have a voice. Don't think that you don't. You might not have 50 degrees behind your name, but you do, you have a voice and it makes a difference and it can make a difference because we all think that we're alone, but we're not alone. Somebody else is going through the same thing you are, maybe not exactly the same, but similar. And you have a voice and um, it should be heard. Exactly. Yes, it's necessary to be able to express the way you're feeling. So I am so glad that you reached out for that support to have a safe space to process, to mm. feel, and to share your experience because everybody's experience looks differently. But being able to share your story and empower others can benefit others in so many different ways. I know that empowerment is a common theme in this conversation mm -hmm. when it comes to either participating in a clinical trial, sharing your story here on the podcast. So what does empowerment mean to you? Empowerment means to me being able to look at what the tests say being able to accept it, being able to fight, but being able to accept and being able to process. The fact that you are at pretty much end stage, but still wanting to live and still going on and, and keeping that, keeping a positive attitude and being able to help your family process and get through it. Those things are empowering. That, that's empowering to me. And I, you know, I thank God for my attitude some people were confused. <laughs> Church people, people of faith were confused because they couldn't understand why I was so um, beat and positive. And as I said earlier, I'm amongst the land of the living. Therefore, I want to live. And I've had a good life. God has been good to me through this life. Who am I to complain that my number could possibly be up or will be up sooner than I would like? I'm appreciative and I'm grateful for every year, every experience, you know, that I've had. Those things are empowering. I have a wonderful husband. I have a wonderful family. When I cry, 
myself, when I grieve, I'm grieving for my family, for what they're going to experience. I know that hurt because when I lost my mother, oh my goodness, I cried for nine, maybe 10 years, like really hurt. And that's the thing that makes me grieve. It is not leaving the earth. It's not that. We're all going to pass, but I'm grateful for knowing that, hey, your days, you know, your days are numbered. This flesh is numbered. You don't have, you don't have years. So I'm grateful for that. And for me, that's empowering because then that meant you have to get things together for your family, help your family to adjust, let them know. Many people are just snuffed out meaning maybe an accident or something completely unexpected happens and they don't have a chance to say their goodbyes, God has given me what I asked for, which was time to help my family make the adjustment and know without being morbid to them, but to help them to know that she is going to pass. You have her right now, but you have to know that that day is coming. And I feel right now that, you know, my quality of life, you know, is decent. It's changing. I can say that, <laughs> you know, my cancer has spread even more since my radiation treatment. And I'll be going back into additional um, chemotherapy uh, beginning next week. But um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the doctors trying. And as I promised and committed to my family, um, I will work and I will fight as long as I can. And when I can't, or things stop working, then I'll stop. So, and it's empowering. It's empowering to, to have, in my mind, to have advance notice that, hey, your day's a number. You better get your paperwork together. Whatever needs to be done, get it together. Say the words you need to say to people. Make amends if you need to make amends. You know, do what you have to do. So I feel in my mind, for me, that's empowering. Very much so. Very much so. So I'm not scared of death. Do I want to die? Absolutely not. Am I ready? Absolutely not. But is it coming for me? It's chasing me. Yes. It's chasing me. It's chasing yes. me. Thank you, Melissa. I know it's it can be just for you to be here today and, and share about what your journey has looked like. And as you acknowledge, just the, the end of life is just reflecting on the time that you've had with your family members, your friends, and your attitude is just amazing. The way that you have reframed this perspective to recognize what is, what can I focus on now is, mm -hmm. okay, what is in my control? How can I focus on the positives? And yes, there is so many different components that come into just a cancer diagnosis. But what advice would you give to someone who has recently been diagnosed with either your type of cancer or any type of cancer? Take time to take it in. Take in the diagnosis, stay calm, pray, trust God if you're a person of faith, trust whatever God you believe in if you're a person of faith, and listen to yourself, listen to your doctors, and fight like hell. If you want to be around, fight. But I'm going to tell you, I think having a, having a, 
good or decent attitude truly can make the difference. Having supportive people truly can make the difference. So I don't know if there's just one piece of advice, (laughs) but, you know, just having a good attitude, you know, can really make the difference. And if you don't like the diagnosis, or if you're not, or whatever your doctor says, if you're not happy with the treatment, get a second opinion and maybe even a third opinion. Do what you have to do to make it. Do what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. I hope some of the insight that you shared, that you explained, will give our listeners something to walk away with. I was wondering, is there anything else that you would like to share that we haven't covered today? Oftentimes, you know, we say cancer. Well, it's a blanket word. And I say that because it covers a multitude of types of cancer. And really, it's about the type of cancer. And we had not mentioned that here, other than I have endometrial cancer. But the cancer cell type that I have is a high-grade malignant neoplasm with small cell carcinoma of the endometrium. And I I think that that's important to say. Uh, when I did mention to coworkers, oh, you know, I have I was diagnosed with endometrial cancer, what have you, and others had had wives that had had issues. You know, kind of the feedback I got was, "Oh, you'll get through it, no problem." Or I would be on the phone, say, with my employer, "Well, my sister has this, and you know, this is what she does." Or th- And I'm thinking, and I've received, God bless people, I've received all kinds of various medications, over-the-counter herbal things with strange names that were going to help me beat cancer. God bless, God bless the people. But, you know, it's important to remember that we, we say the word cancer, but there are so many different types of cancer and to know the the cell type makes it makes a difference because it acts and responds differently uh, to treatment. And mine is a rare and aggressive form. And I've been told that from the very beginning, they don't have much to compare it to. So, but I'm here today. (laughs) Yes, you are. I am so glad that you joined us today and shared everything that you have been through. It is just amazing as you continue this journey to fight and feel grateful for what um, that you do have. But yes, I just want to say thank you again for joining today. And it was really nice speaking with you. Oh, same here. And I'm grateful to the Cancer Care Organization for offering up counseling. I just want you guys to know how so very important it is to have that one-on-one counseling and being able to share your information with someone who can help you process it. I don't know if you remember, Julia, but you had given me breathing techniques. I still use those breathing techniques. I 100% use those breathing techniques in different situations. And you would think, well, why is she doing that? Because it it does something to me. That That helps me. Yes. And then the resources and things of that nature that you have that you emailed me. Yeah. Cancer care has been a blessing to me. That counseling priceless, priceless, that one-on-one. So please continue to help people. Please continue to offer that. It's needed. It's definitely needed.
Thank you. And you also participated in our WIG program, right? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And even though the young lady was in a different area, we were still able to do a Zoom meeting where she was able to show me the various wigs and and sent them to me. So yes, yes, yes. Losing hair is one thing, but it's so nice when you have an option to be able to put on a wig if you so desire or when you desire to do so. That makes a difference because for many women, and I'm not any different from any other any other woman, my head, hair was my crown and glory. Sometimes we lose our crown and glory and we just have to go with other things. So thank you guys for the wig, the treatment. Everyone who I've had to deal with has been extremely sympathetic and empathetic and kind and helpful. And so for that, I am so grateful, so very grateful. Thanks for tuning in to Cancer Out Loud, the Cancer Care Podcast. Cancer Care is the leading national nonprofit organization providing free professional support services, including resource navigation, cancer focused counseling, support groups, educational resources, and financial assistance to anyone affected by cancer. You can visit us online at cancercare.org or call our toll-free Hope Line at 800-813-HOPE. That's 800-813-4673 to speak with a master's prepared oncology social worker.